boom. Good morning, good morning. On today's episode, I have special guest, Dr. Ron Sinha. Dr. Ron runs a lifestyle clinic focused on metabolic health. His groundbreaking work in diabetes reversal and insulin resistance in diverse populations has been featured on the front covers of Fortune Magazine and the LA Times. He also serves as chief medical officer for Silicon Valley Employer Forum, where he helps shape global health benefits for over 60 major Silicon Valley companies. His blog's at culturalhealthsolutions.com and has a popular podcast on health called MetaHealth. Listen in as we dive into the standard approach in medicine is broken. Have a listen. Welcome to your Hidden Edge podcast, where there's a belief that each and every one of us has a hidden edge, one that could unlock that next level of success in any area of life. Unfortunately, that edge is hidden, tucked away and buried deep underneath layers and layers. In this podcast, we'll uncover the hidden edge of high-performance leaders, executives, athletes, coaches, and authors to open your mind and stretch your frame of reality. If you know you want more, can do more, and be more, then this is the right podcast for you. Let's uncover your hidden edge. Welcome to the show. I am extremely excited to have special guest Ron Sinha in the show. Ron, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thank you. I am so excited to dive into, one, kind of your hidden edge, creativity, empathy, passion for learning and, and what it's led to a career and, and the topic of poor health, identifying early markers of metabolic disease, those things, because it's so, so important. I mean, we, you know, I see it everywhere walking around how many people are suffering from either, you know, diabetes or being obese or, or close to that point. So let's dive into, you know, what got you curious about this? And then let's dive into those early markers, because I want to expose the audience to what they should look for and, and based upon what you what you do. Totally. You know, I, I think from childhood, I've always had that innate creativity. And in some ways, I think it got blunted when I got to medical school and went through medical training, okay. um, because, you know, there is a lot of rote memorization that happens in medicine. And so when I started my clinical practice in Silicon Valley, I really was pretty shocked because you know, we sort of have a stereotypical vision of what a diabetic or a heart disease patient should look like for medical training. And typically it's, it's someone overtly obese, really overweight, maybe smokes cigarettes, eats a lot of sugar, all that stuff, Jeff. But in my clinic, what I was startled by was I was seeing people that look like me, like relatively slender in some cases, underweight, non-smokers, individuals that are working around the clock for tech companies or starting their own business, venture capitalists, CEOs. And often they were coming in with early markers or advanced markers of things like diabetes and heart disease. And the creativity really came in because I didn't really have creative options at that point to inspire them to make healthy lifestyle changes and to understand what's happening inside their body. I mean, basically I'd be giving a one page handout on the food pyramid. I'd be giving them sort of outdated scientific right. sort of concepts and advice. And that's where I thought that, listen, this is something that if I'm going to inspire my patients, I need to create content that's going to really change them. And fortuitously, as I was doing this, I myself actually developed insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, and some of the very conditions that I was trying to treat my patients. And that was a wake-up call that the standard approach to lifestyle medicine, 
health, all these things, although there's some pearls hidden within there, um, is just really not sufficient. It's very generic. It doesn't really um, take the individual into consideration and it's missing a lot of the key elements of nutrition and health. So that was literally my fire, my hidden fire that got me on a journey to start creating content, um, writing a book, going out to companies, talking to employees about how to, they can approach their health and still succeed in their professional life. And so that journey has been over a decade long and that's kind of brought me here. Gotcha. I, I love one, not being equipped with what you needed to help significantly help other people. And then you going through the journey yourself. I mean, that, that had to be an eye opener for you when you experienced that. Oh, completely. Because literally, I had all the boxes checked in terms of following all the standard dietary guidelines. I was a much more aggressive exerciser back then okay. than I was today, and I paid a little bit of a price for that. And I've actually seen, we can get into this later, some of my type A execs who are over-exercisers can pay a huge price with their health. And I'm not just talking about injuries. I'm talking about premature atherosclerosis and plaque formation in their blood vessels. We often think that fitness is like, the more you do it, the more benefits you get, the more longevity you get. But there is a point where you can come down crashing hard. And as I saw that in my patients, and I started seeing early signs in myself when my body was direct rejecting that, um, I had to take a different approach even to movement. So we've got two ends of the spectrum. Some people, you know, I've got techies that are couch or computer potatoes that I got to get them moving. Right. On the other end of the spectrum, I've got folks that I can't slow down. I'm like, you know what? You should not be training for a triathlon right now because you're not sleeping, you're not resting, your heart rate data looks terrible. It's like that's actually a harder battle for me to get a type A person to actually slow down and modify their fitness and health goals so they're not burning the candle at both ends. That's sometimes tougher to getting somebody sedentary to actually start moving more. In a lot of ways, that's a lot easier. So yeah, let's let's we'll we'll cover that second. I'm shaking my head yes because it's tough for me to. <laughs> <laughs> take a day off from now and then, but I've gotten much better at, at resting because I know that law of diminishing returns, right? You get to a point where it's, it's, it's not helping you. It's actually hurting you, but let's, let's take the, the first example, right? Couch potato who might not exercise much. What are some early signs that they can be aware of that you can provide? And then what are some steps for them to, to really start to go the opposite direction of, of the, difficult path they're headed. Yeah, perfect. So, you know, even before your blood markers start to go up, you know, often in a traditional medical system, unfortunately, sometimes we are just waiting for numbers to get to a level where you've got a diagnosis. You know, we have diabetes, but now we have pre-diabetes, but, but you can actually even catch your markers at an earlier stage than that. So there's a process called insulin resistance. I won't go into details on that, but basically that is a disruption in your metabolism that actually prevents your body from clearing glucose effectively from the blood. And that has all types of downstream abnormalities from obesity, weight gain, even Alzheimer's disease. All these things are linked to problems with insulin. And the earliest manifestation of that could be number one, with your body, instead of being weight focused, I say being waist focused. So if we're already starting to see some bulge around the waistline, perhaps a couple of inches, in my book, I kind of tell people do the feet test. If you look down at your feet and you can't see your laces, that's a little bit of a problem. So focus mm -hmm. on waste management first. That can be one of the earliest markers. When you look at your actual um, lab tests, look at your cholesterol panel, because if your triglycerides, a type of cholesterol is already elevated, that's an early harbinger for this problem with insulin, even 10 years before your glucose starts to go up. And to be very specific, most labs will say that your triglycerides should be less than 150, 
you actually want it closer to 100 or below. So that's one very simple marker you can look at. So we're talking waistline, we're talking cholesterol in a bit of a different way where you're focused on triglycerides. And then there's other markers like the blood pressure, et cetera, that can mark insulin resistance. But, but you know, if we want to even go further before that, um, a lot of the corporate programs I'm doing and in my lifestyle consult practice, I'm equipping most of my patients with a continuous glucose monitor, which is what I'm wearing right now on my arm. Okay. Okay. And that is a sensor that can track your glucose 24 seven. And that's a major eye opener because what you might see is even though your average glucose is okay right now, you might see significant fluctuations, what we call glycemic variability throughout the day. And that can put a big stressor on your heart a big stressor just causing chronic inflammation, which is overactivation of your immune system. And it's amazing when like I've got patients wear this, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe my glucose crashed in the afternoon by 70 points. And the reason their blood test looks normal on their glucose is because they're having a lot of hypos. They're overtraining and they're having these low glucose episodes that are just draining them. And it's, a lot of it is because they're following a lot of popular health trends. They're overfasting. They're too ketogenic when they shouldn't be. And then they're training like crazy, right? So I'm not anti any of those dietary movements. If you do them properly and strategically, they can be game changers and lifesavers. But when you just hear a podcast on it and you'd say, hey, I'm going to start fasting, I often see people losing massive amounts of muscle from fasting and their glucose stability is actually worse. So, so that's where you have to get familiar with how do I identify these early markers? And then, you know, the challenge is most doctors aren't yet. This is not a part of mainstream medicine. So sometimes you have to be proactive in getting your hands on sensors or getting maybe lab testing a little bit more often than the general recommendations, which might say, Jeff, get your lipids done every five years. And I'd be, I'll be, I'd be saying, Jeff, listen, based on your triglycerides, we're going to check it every three months. And if you got a good doctor, they're going to be open to being a little bit more flexible as you make lifestyle changes in terms of checking those biomarkers a little bit more frequently in the beginning. No, I, I love the tracking, right? The monitoring. It's just like anything in life. If you don't track it, if you're not aware of it, you, you can't change it or you don't know till it's too late or you're down that path. And then yeah. it's so much harder to correct. Right. Exactly. So, so do you recommend that for everybody or do you, what, what's, what's kind of your so recommendation? That's a good point. So right now the, the, the struggle is if you went to your doctor, 99% would say, no, you're not going to get a glucose sensor because they're FDA approved for individuals that have diabetes and are taking insulin. Gotcha. But luckily there is a rising movement now. This is why there's venture back companies. We're doing this in our healthcare system where now people are actually using glucose sensors just to catch these early markers of are there variations or, you know, fluctuations that we shouldn't expect. So I'll give you a simple example. Um, you know, if you're an oatmeal fan, you know, for some individuals, oatmeal in the morning is fantastic. It's great. For others, it's destroying their blood sugar. And before I was using these glucose sensors, I'd sort of try to guesstimate, is it good for you or not? Track your carbs, whatever. But now literally when you were a sensor, you look at, okay, I expect a glucose spike because that's normal. But if that glucose spike is lasting more than 90 minutes, two hours, that's not normal. We've got to modify your breakfast. So for one person, it might be great. Another person may not be good. But but this is where, yes, I do recommend, I don't see any downside to these sensors, quite frankly, except 
some people can become a little bit neurotic, right? So right. some people, you know, that's the same thing. I'm wearing an R ring, but sometimes I take this off because I get a lot of sleep related anxiety. I'm like, oh my God, I've slept two or three nights. I'm not getting, <laughs> right. so I've literally just had to disconnect. So biohacking is fun and data tracking is fun, but it can drive you crazy if you're especially type A micromanager, which I can be sometimes. But that's why we're creating programs to really teach people in a very gentle way. But yes, your glucose is supposed to go up when you eat even healthy carbs. That's a normal response. But if it's lingering too long, then guess what? You can go for a 15 or 20 minute walk. Like that's the power. You were talking about the couch potato. Yep. A lot of times we're couch potato or we're weekend warrior and there's nothing in between, right? Yeah, so right. many of my patients will sit all day then they'll go for a 20, 30 minute walk in the evening or they'll do a hard workout in the morning. They sit all day, mm -hmm. but they don't realize to optimize metabolism, you need to be doing frequent movements throughout the day. I mean, you can get that 30 minute, 45 minute workout in, but if that is so fatiguing that it causes you to sit all day because you're sore and you're dying from pain, right. which is what I used to do over 10 years ago, yeah. then your baseline level of activity has been affected by that high intensity workout. So now I've got to teach people to dose their workouts in a way that it's energizing. You get the metabolic benefit, but you've got some gas left in the tank. So you can go for a 15 minute walk. You can take the dog out. Hey, if you wanted to do a 20 minute jog in the evening, you've got enough energy to do that. So it's energy conservation. And if I've got taxing meetings or presentations in the afternoon, I'm not tailored because I'm realizing that my high intensity workout can actually take away from the brain power and focus that I need to actually complete my day. You might be a working mom and you need that energy to pick up your kids. A working dad, you got to pick up your kids or coach soccer practice. We kind of forget that there are some limited reserves that we have to divert to other activities throughout the day. No, I love that. And I love how you said, hey, you're active in the morning, but then you're sedentary most of the day, right? And that's so many people that hit a killer workout in the morning, but then they're sitting all day long. I mean, I, I we're both standing, right? I, I have exactly. a stand-up desk. I coach my clients to move throughout your day. Just do 20 air squats or some jumping jacks or go for a little walk. Get up from your desk because that is the key to, you know, fighting that that good fight for sure. Oh, Jeff, I love the fact that you give that advice, because one thing I want to say is a lot of my patients, you know, they've figured out sitting, standing, and a lot of them have standing desks, but many of them I say are standing like statues all day. And into, literally, they're just fixed in front of Zoom all day. And actually, prolonged standing is not good for your feet or lower back if you're standing stiff all day. Right. So instead of sedentary behavior, I tell people to avoid stationary behavior. Like right. if you're standing, like just like you said, I like moving. I'm a big fidgeter as well, not fidgeting <laughs> in a nervous way, but in an active way. And there's studies at Stanford that show that if you actively fidget, these micro movements throughout the day can burn up to 2000 calories. So that's a big win, right? So again, oh, for my couch yeah. potato who does not want to go to the gym, does not want to jog or do something high intensity, just getting in the motion of standing, sitting, standing on one leg to challenge balance while they're in a Zoom meeting. I've got like, a, we call this exercise snacking, snacking on little bits of movement throughout the day in various ways. You can sit in a very active position with your core engaged, and that's actually more calorically burning than just standing still. So that alternating position is huge. And when you wear a glucose sensor, you'll see often that you can flatten glucose peaks just by moving around. And if you don't have to be on camera, often we're just listing our mute. That's when you can do what you said, do some air right. squat, get in a plank position, just really make like my, my, my standing workstation is like a little gym. I've got dumbbells. Sometimes I've got a kettlebell. I got resistance bands. That's right. one of the secrets to really staying energetic and fit throughout the day. 
No, I, I love how you said sitting, right? Just bracing your core. I've done it when I'm driving with my wife and kids and I'm like hissing out of my mouth and I'm doing a core and, and they'll say, what are you doing? I'm like, I, I didn't get any, I'm, I'm strengthening my core right now as we're, exactly. as we're driving. They, awesome. they think I'm a little crazy, but hey, yeah. crazy well, changes so they all the think world, we're crazy. Right? My family thinks I'm crazy too, <laughs> but there that's what go. keeps us going, right? That keeps the fire burning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And crazy changes the world and where we're headed is not a good place, right? No. With I just, well, I, I see it at a football game. I see it at Target. Like so many yeah. people are suffering in, and what is it? 72% of America is now either overweight or obese. I mean, and it's, it, our kids are suffering the same thing and, and we've got to stand up. We've got to give alternative. We got to give options. And just like you said, I mean, just moving throughout your day, you and we have this notion that we have to have this killer workout. We've been preconditioned that we've got to crush and be a CrossFitter or do this and that. No, if you just got up and moved and walked and did these small, and I, I love how you said snacking, right? These little movements that you can do, these little micro movements sprinkled throughout your day, you'll be so much better from a health longevity perspective when you do those things. Totally. And Jeff, to, to add to that too, is even in my patients that are elite athletes, so it's not necessarily that you're just mailing it in and you're not doing high intensity workouts. One thing just to be very clear with about people is the way the body works is there is an optimal metabolic zone where we get most of our heart health benefit, where we can burn a ton of fat without injuring ourselves. There's mm -hmm. lots of different equations out there, but the one that I follow, because I love simplicity, is by a gentleman named Dr. Phil Mathetone. I did a mm -hmm. podcast with him too, and he calls I it see. the math heart rate. Very yep. simple, really good friend of mine, colleague, we've done great work together, and it's just 180 minus your age. So if you're mm -hmm. 40, 180 minus 40 is 140. That's your upper ceiling for aerobic fat burning. And for a lot of people, what they don't realize, so for people that are very type A athletes, when they're jogging at 140 or biking at 140, they're like, this is too easy. They're like, no, I want to push it harder. But I'm like, no, 80% of your workout should be in that zone. And that's not lazy. You are building a huge mitochondrial reserve for aerobic you know, functioning, where when you actually enter endurance events, if you do that for several months at a time, you'll be burning more fat without generating more inflammatory byproducts. <clears throat> sure, once or twice a week when you're feeling great, go hit a sprint, do a high intensity, right. or in the midst of that workout, you can, you know, I might do 15, 20 second sprints. But as you get fitter within that zone, you're going to get faster at 140. And my goal is to get faster in an effortless way, right? Mm -hmm. When you look at athletes in the fourth quarter, the ones mm -hmm. that are really fit, they're like, literally, they can still keep running. They do an mm -hmm. interview, they're not huffing and puffing, whereas other people are hunched over, because they're not doing that aerobic 180 minus age zone. So, so, so that's, a, that's a perfect zone. For people that are sedentary, literally just going for a walk, they're already at that zone. And these sedentary folks in companies are joining boot camp type classes where their heart rates are like 180. They're right. straining their heart. I've had two or three examples of these types of individuals. One died in the parking lot of a high intensity fitness camp boot camp. Another one had a stroke on a treadmill because they're going from zero to 90 miles per hour without right. doing the slow methodical patient work in between. And that's something all of us need to learn because we can sort of be all or nothing with that mentality. No, I'm, I'm so happy you brought that up. I've, I've studied Phil Maffetone and, and oh, some fantastic. of his things and, and I've backed off recently on running at such a fast pace, actually doing it with nasal breathing only Beautiful. and, and just getting into that zone. And I'm a type A consider myself to be very athletic, love to push it. It's, it's difficult. Right. And, and that's a great segue into you know, overtraining and those type A personalities that you said, sometimes it's harder to turn those P 
people back, turn the dial back versus turn it up for those that, that are sitting on the couch. So explain kind of the, you know, the overtraining piece and, and why it's so important to listen to your body and, and be in that fat burning zone. Yeah. You know, the overtraining, it's such a slippery slope and I'll tell you, we all get hooked on it because you get a mega surge of adrenaline. So it's like having three or four espresso shots, right? So when you tell someone to back down to that 140, whatever their 180 minus age range is, you're taking an intense buzz out of that workout. And many of us need that buzz to cope with our marriage, with our family, with our work and all the things. So we're kind of hooked on that. But one thing I will tell you is when you start getting used to that middle zone workout, not only are you building long-term fitness and longevity, because most of us are not trying to win gold medals, right? We want to win the gold medal of life and just being the proper family person, the proper work person. But one thing you will notice is when you start getting used to that, and you tell me too, I want you to challenge me on this, but before when I was doing high intensity, I feel great. But two things would happen. Number one, I'd crash just like a caffeine crash several hours later. The third thing is I'd eat, eat everything in the pantry. Like my hunger was so out of control because I'd get hypoglycemic from those high intensity workouts. And many of my patients who are doing high intensity, they're actually taking in more calories than they're aware of. So they're overfueling because they're over depleting glucose. We definitely want to burn through some of our glucose stores. We call them stored glycogen. If you overdo that, you're going to probably end up over consuming calories. So one thing I found is being in that middle zone, I was not getting the intense hunger pains. And then I still had a buzz, but it was a very steady buzz where I can focus and my clarity is much more durable rather than the intense crashes and the ups and downs I was having from that. I don't know if you noticed the same thing, Jeff, as you went from high intensity, sort of that middle zone. That's sort of a consistent pattern I see myself and my patients as well. I definitely experienced it. So I'm a former CrossFitter. And Uh when I was doing those workouts, I mean, I could barely get to my car, right? Because I'm crashing because it was, I was expending everything I had and then just wiped. I, I mean, I remember doing events and doing four, you know, doing a competition, doing four events, coming home and just, I had to sleep because I I couldn't do it anymore. Right. Where now I would definitely say backing off on that, being so aware of, you know, not only the physical side, but the mental side, being aware of sleep, right. And getting quality sleep rather than I used to tell my late mother, Hey, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Right. And (laughs) now I'm like, I will be dead if I don't sleep. Right. So yeah. Being aware of that, I just, I, I, I would agree with you. I have a constant energy, good level of energy that I can put through to the day, every day. And, and that's most likely due to not training so, so intensely that I'm so wiped out. Yep, absolutely. But, you know, when you do need to tap into those, like, so once or twice a week, I'll hit the Y and play basketball mm-hmm. with people nice. like my age. I can turn it on because I've got the reserves, my legs, my limbs are fresh and I can I can kick some butt at my age when I do that. Whereas before it would be like three days of recovery from all the pain and aches that go through that. So so for listeners, just be really, really aware of that, because, again, if it's longevity and reducing heart disease, again, I used a term called chronic inflammation. So inflammation is a great thing. We want to have our immune system come on and burst to protect us from infection, to help us heal injury. But when we're in those high intensity zones for too long, that's when that inflammation becomes chronic. 
And that's why if you look up some of these syndromes out there, there's ultra marathoner syndrome, people mm -hmm. that have been doing very high intensity endurance work for a long time without proper recovery, they've actually developed accelerated plaques in their blood vessels in their heart. It's been shown on CT scans and angiograms as well. And so that is, and, and I tell people that, listen, if you are a high endurance athlete that has a personal recovery plan, you've got a masseuse, you're getting eight to 12 hours of sleep, you've got a personal chef, great, you could probably endure that. But most of us are like running a business, right? We've right. got family, a lot of us are not getting enough sleep. And all of a sudden, you're training for a marathon without proper recovery strategies. That's just a recipe for some sort of injury, or even possibly some sort of condition like heart disease down the road. So not to demotivate people out there, but I just want them to be aware of that, because I'm seeing enough of the research and enough case studies in my clinical practice, which is why I've taken this very, very seriously. I appreciate you sharing that with the audience, with myself. I mean, it's so, so important to, to know that. What can people do, right? If, if they're that couch potato, is it go to the doctors and just get up and move? Is it, I, I read something the other day that said, after you eat, go for a walk for 15 to 20 minutes because you can knock that, you know, it, it's so beneficial. What, what are a couple of like low hanging fruits, things that people can do today to take action? Cool. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. So, so first of all, I would start with the morning because a lot okay. of people will wake up in the morning and, you know, they'll do their usual business and then they jump right into meeting after meeting after meeting. Mm -hmm. And I tell people, you think about your metabolism as kind of like being an engine in your body. You've okay. got to start that car in the morning, even if it's 10 to 15 minutes of a vigorous walk or some sort of physical activity that is going to get the wheels turning in your metabolism. So you're actually burning some calories and some fat while you're in that first Zoom meeting or whatever you're doing. If you go just from bed to sitting, then everything you do, literally, I mean, even the emotional stress, the food that you take in, everything's going to cause more significant glycemic spikes, okay. which is glucose spikes. Because a common pattern I see in individuals nowadays is many of them have just a slightly or a moderately elevated fasting blood sugar. So that's a sign that your liver is already dumping glucose in your bloodstream. Your body has made breakfast for you even before you've eaten breakfast. So if you don't get some physical activity to take the edge off that, and then you sit down, great. Now look for your next midday break where you can maybe take a 15, 20 minute walk or do some of the creative things that we talked about, stand on one leg, do some fidgeting, sit standing. And then the evening, if we can bookend the day with some physical activity, fantastic. So if you can't find that elusive hour to work out, really splitting it up into segments has a huge, huge impact. So that'd be one great place to start. And not just movement too, but also recovery. So if you did an intense workout yesterday, I'm spending a lot of my standing time doing hamstring stretches, moving my hip flexors and doing a lot of recovery during my work day. So then I'm ready to roll by the afternoon, the evening or the next morning. So integrating that into your daily life is game changing. So if you can start doing that, I think that'd be huge. I love, I love those recommendations, morning, midday, night, sprinkle it in throughout. If you're sore, Hey, do some stretches, right? Where it's great yeah. for the body. And a lot of people still are either virtual or working in an office and, Hey, lead the charge, right? Get some hamstring cool. stretches in, get some quad stretches. People might think you're crazy, but tell them why you're doing it, right? And then, then you can start to spread that message to others that uh, that need sense. to hear it. So, Ron, I've loved the conversation. Where can people find out more about you, follow your podcast, all that good stuff? Yeah, fantastic. So um, you can the best place to go is to my blog at ronishsinha.com. 
And there um, you'll find the links to my podcast and also to my programs. So one I'm running right now is called The Meta Program at themetaprogram.com. And I really teach small groups of people how to integrate all these principles. We work on mindset as well, too. But going to my blog is fantastic. And if you really want to get nerdy on metabolism and understanding this stuff to a deep level, my um, podcast is called The Meta Health Podcast. So you can find me on iTunes. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Perfect. Thanks for the opportunity, Jeff. Take care. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Have an amazing, amazing rest of your day. Rise, fight, love, repeat. Get after it. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to your Hidden Edge podcast. You are now part of the movement, part of a tribe who's on a mission to uncover their hidden edge. We are stronger together. So please share this. Show up with one person in your network that you want to help. Together, we can empower others and connected, we can make a dent in the universe.